Welcome to For The Record. This is episode 55 of your weekly music podcast. My name is Sean Tierney. Thanks for joining me and joining me as well is the spin kicking, uh, finger licking, heel clicking boogie master himself, Mr. Zach Boogie. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm not too bad, boy. As I told you just before we started recording, today is like the first day since Thursday that I haven't been crippled with a hangover from all the gigs I've been at. So that was what I was referencing there at my grand intro for you. Yeah, <laughs> I, feel, I feel rejuvenated now because uh, we were just pining over the fact that we're both missing Outbreak Festival this weekend. Yeah. But I kind of had myself living in London. I had a couple of little tasters, a little mm. sample of Outbreak. So well, what better place to start? Why don't you regale us about your uh, first up was the was the Triple B? Our yeah, the Triple B. Triple B, yeah. It was Triple B. Yeah. The Triple B European takeover in Oslo. Now, that was... I went with a buddy from work and he texted me the morning after saying uh, that was the, probably the most life-affirming show I've been at in a long time. So thank No you way. For, yeah, he was like, thank you for go, bringing me. Like, as we went, we were like, we got to go to this. Uh, like, so last year, I saw No Pressure and Tsunami together in the new cross in and that was my favorite show of last year uh talked about both bands plenty on, on this podcast mm. and it's funny it's funny because just after we put out the hardcore episode about albums that have come out this year albums were waiting on albums were speculating on and i went on a big tirade about tsunami and how much i love them and how i can't wait for an album to be get announced and then like a week later Boom. they just <laughs> yeah they just surprise dropped their debut lp and i was like oh my fucking god so I was super hyped to see them again, hearing songs from the new record and see No Pressure again, because I just great it's a great time, hardcore pop punk, what more could you want? But I was super intrigued to see the other support acts. Um Pain of Truth were unbelievable. Mm. Like Pain of Truth are I get all the hype and like why everyone in the hardcore scene is backing them and Everyone can't wait for their debut album. Like I really got into their EP before the show, No Blame, Just Facts, which came out in 2020 and was banging. But they've announced their debut LP for later this year. They were just unreal. It just felt real. It felt like being at like some early 90s, like fucking Roadrunner era hardcore show. Just the, the thick old school sound of the riffage and the breakdowns and the attitude. I must say though, Restraining Order blew me away as well, man. Uh, I've really starting to click with that band. They were, uh, like, I started a deep dive in them as well before the show, and I didn't realize, like, how old school hardcore they are. They just do not cater to, like, you know, the slam dance breakdown tough guy crowd. They're, they're all about 80s hardcore worship, just minute-long, super catchy hardcore bangers, like, really catchy tunes. So... I you know, you know that song they re they released this year, um, "Misled." It's, it's a got, banger. Like it's a fucking banger, but it's got like almost, um, you know, like a fuzzy kind of grungy kind of feel yeah. to it as well. Like it's not just like 
straight up hardcore. It's got like the it's it's you know, it's like it's quite grungy. It's really cool. They're a really interesting band, actually. I'm kind of yeah. I'm I'm a little bit like yourself. I'm my my interest is like way up on that band. Yeah, I really I deep dived their debut album before the show. This world is too much. And I really, it really clicked with me. And I love that misled single from their mm. upcoming album, Locked in Time, which comes out next month. Uh, so they they were fantastic. I missed C4 because it was just like, it was one of those things where, you know, C4 were on less than an hour after doors opened and doors opened at six and I worked till six. Yeah. So like, yeah. you know, I, I knew I was going to, so I missed C4. Restraint and Order were great. Cool. Pain of Truth were Banging. Uh, just to interject then, again, they're, the they apparently went went off in a big way at Outbreak as well. Like it was massive. Oh, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. I'll put it this way watching Pain of Truth, I was standing at the bar on my way to being nicely drunk. And I couldn't remember the last time I was at a show where the bartender was like, filming half of Pain of Truth set with their phone Sick. and like singing along to all the songs and like yeah the bartender was fucking delighted to be yeah, singing yeah, yeah. Pain of Truth like. nice so then the beers had started to set in <laughs> and the hype for seeing Tsunami a second time started to set in and the fact that I've been vibing on their album a lot and I had spent like restraining order and Pain of Truth standing at the back enjoying my pint at the bar and as soon as Tsunami came out on stage, I like turned to my buddy and was just like, I need, I need you to hold this. <laughs> and I was on my way kind of contemplating how far I would commit to this. And then, you know, I was like, you know, age is just a number. I, I don't have to think about being 30 anymore. Let's just, let's, let's go nostalgia vibing. And I jumped right into the fucking hardcore dance pit right up at the front. And yeah, I, I, I reclaimed my childhood, man. It was absolute mayhem. I was throwing spin kicks and doing my karate chops and had lads fucking hitting me in the face and the temple and lads rolling off my back. And I was picking up lads like we were in Vietnam. And I was stage diving and fucking, it was great. It was so much violence and tsunami. Like when I saw them last time, they very much felt like, even though there was a lot of hype for them to play, they felt very much like a support act. And they felt, I think there was a bit of a technical issue. So they, they there was like a five minute gap between like two songs and they were sorting something out. But like on Thursday night, like it was like they, they came to take over London. Like, like the, the energy in that room mm. when they were playing, the violence, the camaraderie, the, the 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 way they incite people, man, it's just unbelievable. Their their sound was vicious. It was unbelievable. It it, it was utter mayhem. Like without uh, without like making uh, the kind of obvious and and pretty bad pun, but um, they are really riding the crest of a wave. Like you know what I mean. And I think that it's really cool that you say that their their live show is delivering as well. Because if, like, if you're a hardcore band, your records can be whatever. You know what I mean? Well, you need to smash it live. And it's it's so cool to hear that a band who are on this little bit of a hype that they're catching it and they're fucking going for it. Yeah, that's great, man. Delighted to hear that now. Yeah, they, they really take no prisoners live. And it, 
it's and both times I've seen them, it, there's been a nice, you know, when tsunami finish and that like violent energy leaves the room, it's nice for no pressure to come along and be like, eh, but we all grew up on Blink-182 though, didn't we? So let's all just stage dive and two-step and have fun and everyone have a push pit for the, to, to wind down the evening. So no pressure was great fun again, but, and it was really fun to see them a second time, but holy shit, tsunami stole the show, like absolutely stole yeah. it. Now, and it, like I said, it was great to really come out of retirement again and, and just act like an absolute dope and like jump around and mosh and throw down. I had so much fun. Then the gig I went to Friday night mm -hmm. was one of the single worst live concerts, live gig experiences I have ever had in my entire fucking life, man. And I'm really, really upset. That's such a shame because this was a gig that you were really, really looking forward to. Um, so like back last year, towards the end of the year, yeah, it was like maybe November time. We did um, we did an episode on this band, Turnover, uh, their their latest record, uh, Myself in the Way. And it's a lovely kind of disco-ish, indie, like funky vibe. And um, I, I quite liked it. There was a there was some bits of it like the intros and the fucking the interludes and stuff I thought were a little bit pointless but like for what it was like it's a cool thing to dance around to and jive around to and then you informed me that this is kind of a direction they'd been you know this is a path that they've been on for the last couple of records yeah so now they... I, I just want to point out to those listening myself and Zach have had a little discussion about this uh, prior to the recording but um, it's actually, it's after fucking me off, man. And I wasn't there. You know what I mean? Do you, do you want to fill the listeners in on, uh, on why it was so fucking annoying? You see, what I actually, have, I've noticed a pattern with Turnover that because they changed their style, they've changed their style progressively through each project. Mm -hmm. No matter what fucking project they're touring, the fucking fans want the older shit. Like the first time I saw Turnover live, they were on. They were at the end of the cycle for Peripheral Vision, their second album, which a lot of people see as their breakthrough, mm. because the first album, Magnolia, is very much run for cover, core pop punk emo, similar to Basement Title Fight. It was very much of that kind of ilk. And they, after that first album, they really just kind of reassessed their sound and found like a new direction that suited them. And Peripheral Vision happened, and Peripheral Vision's a proper shoegazy, dream pop, emo album, and it's a great record. It's it's kind of their gold standard now. But like when I saw them the first time, there was people in the crowd like, you know, play Sasha, which is like a song off their old EP and stuff. And it's kind of a joke at gigs, but you could see some people were a bit, you know, it sucks they don't play anything before Peripheral Vision. And I'm like, yeah, but they, they literally needed, they, they wrote Peripheral Vision with a whole other load of equipment. So they're not going to bring old guitars and old setups just to play one deep cut off a fucking album that they wrote when they were in their late teens. So anyway, second time I saw them, they were touring Good Nature. That was the album that followed up Peripheral Vision and it's a lot more upbeat and kind of like, it's still shoegazy, but it's almost like tropical power pop at times and it's a lovely record. And you could see people who were like, yeah, when they played the Good Nature songs, but then everyone went off when they played Peripheral Vision songs. Now, I miss them touring their fourth album altogether because of COVID. They didn't really get around my hair much. And then, so coming back to see them finally on tour with myself in the way, like, part of me was 
like, you know, oh, it'll be cool to hear songs from Peripheral Vision for my fucking third time and hear songs from Good Nature for my second time. But I'm mainly hype to hear songs from All Together and Myself in the Way, the last two albums, which I've never heard songs from live. And I just love Turnover. They're one of my favorite current bands. I love everything they do. I follow them on every direction they take. I have never been at a show. This was in the underworld. And I know there's like, oh, you go to shows, people talk and whatever, which is bullshit on its own. But in the underworld, sold out show, a, a, a really condensed crowd, like about 600 and something people. And every single song Turnover played that wasn't from their second album, Peripheral Vision, everyone just talked. I mean, talk, 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 talk. Like I could hear people's conversations, chat, chat, chat. And like... I got there just as turnover was starting. So the and it was sold out. So if you've been to the underworld, the ground, the bottom pit floor is packed. So everyone is standing on the high rise bit, and that's where I am. I'd gotten as close as I could, but like I didn't want to go shoving through a load a sold out tiny crowd to be like, oh, I want to be up front when I'm a tall bastard anyway. I was content with my spot. Straight away, the first. The first four songs they played, uh, three were from, uh, three or four actually were from myself in the way. And there was three lads behind me who just wouldn't stop talking. Like, and I, I couldn't hear a fucking word he was saying, Austin the vocalist was singing. I was trying to get my vibe on and these guys wouldn't stop talking. And I turned around and I was like, could you stop talking please? And they were kind of looked at me like, oh, like, are you serious? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, right, fine. And I was like, okay. And I and I can't I try to calm down. And after about four songs of new new material that everyone talked through, they did one song from Peripheral Vision. And the whole crowd starts singing along and everyone knows the words and everyone's embracing each other. And then ironically, when that song finished, the three lads behind me tapped me and apologized because it was like when they heard a song they liked it made them realize that maybe I like the newer material and they were being dicks. So they apologized. I, I was like, it's fine. It's all good. Let it go. Let's enjoy the set. I turned back around. There's two American girls standing right next to me. And I'm, I'm trying, I'm, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to sound very offensive right now. There are fewer, louder, more annoying people than loud, annoying American people. And these two girls were loud, annoying American girls. And they were right next to me, like, oh, my God, and I didn't do like that. And she was like, oh, no, but I don't know that. And I'm trying to listen to this, like, minimal disco-inflected housey dream pop that's all in the nuanced bass lines and the synth overdubs. And it's super chill. It's listening music, like, and all well, I can Aside from that as well, like, it's, it's, it, you could definitely have a boogie tent, like, you know, you can definitely have a bop yeah. and, you know, like, so even if you're not like, like, cause when I was listening to the album, like I'm, I'm not into turnover in the way you are, but I could, you know, I was still like able to dance around and like, you kind of feel yourself moving a little yeah. bit. So even if you don't know the songs and you're not like, you know, you don't just want stuff from peripheral vision, like, would you not just go enjoy yourself? You're after paying good money, which we're all told, you know, about the cost of living and all this stuff. And, you know, I always think that it's like, you know, it's a privilege to go to gigs because like not everyone can afford to and stuff. So like even no matter what cost the gig is, you know, whether it's 10 quid or 100 quid, you know, it's still money that you and it could, wasn't you know what I mean? So it's like, would you not just go and enjoy yourself rather than just fucking ruining everyone else's night? 
and full transparency, like I, I got guest list for this show, mm. but like because it was sold out and I knew someone who could get me guest list. Yeah. So I got guest list. But like but I had every intention of buying my ticket and the tickets were thirty pound. Like this wasn't a, a cheap show necessarily. No. And apart from outbreak, it's their only UK date. It was literally a one-off show, intimate show in the underworld, and then Outbreak Festival. So I, I felt so privileged they were coming back in the underworld. But listen, I'm not, hold on, let me keep going a sec. These two American girls. Oh, oh God. I let it go for one song. And then another song from myself and The Way Comes On. They keep talking. I turned to them again, and I, I turned to them. I hadn't talked to them yet, and I leant in, and I went, could you please stop talking? I can't hear the music. And they looked at me like I was a psycho. And they kind of were like, okay. And I went back to watching the tunes. And, you know, like in fucking school, I was a teacher and they literally like decreased their volume a decibel. Yeah. yeah and continued yeah. to have their full conversation. And I was like, are you serious? And they kept like, and then that, and then that, and then that, and then that. We're just talking a little bit quieter. So he totally won't hear us now. And then when the song ended, I just literally turned. I went, can you shut the fuck up? I said, I'm trying to hear the fucking music. I'm not here to listen to you. Can you shut the fuck up, please? And one of them literally had the gall to go to me. Why can't you move? And I went, because I'm at a fucking concert. I have come to see the band play music for an hour that I want to listen to. I says, you could talk anywhere. Why come to a concert and talk? I says, why don't you go to the back and talk if you don't care about the music? I says, I can't, I have nowhere to go. It's sold out. And they were just like, and I was like, what fucking ever? Like, and I could see there was like another one or two dudes who like looked at me then because they all they could see was a dude arguing with two women. Yeah, and they were like, oh, this dude's a psycho. So I just let it go then. I was like, you know what? I'm fighting a losing battle. I'm surrounded by fucking twats. I'm going to shut up. And I will be honest. It ruined the show for me because such a shame, man. I, yeah, I had a few, I had a few beers in me, so I and I was really emotionally vibing with the music. And when that happened, and then I realized people were looking at me like, "No, we should be allowed to talk. We don't really care." If I have a problem, I should move into the crowd and barrel through three hundred people and be like, "Move out of my way," because I want to be up the front. And I'll tell you now, the rest of the set. Turnover played 14, 15 songs, 14 or 15 songs. They played five from Peripheral Vision. They were the only songs that the crowd sang along to and danced around to and celebrated. Literally every song from Good Nature, All Together, and Myself in the Way, it was just talk, 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 talk. And not even that. When Turnover would finish songs and Austin gets the front man would talk and tell stories about this. I didn't hear a fucking word he said all night. Like, literally, they would do like a song for myself in the way. Thank you. Everyone talking over him. Like, even I was with my partner and she turned to me, like, in between every song. And she was like, I can't hear a word he's saying. I was like, no, me neither. I was like, I don't know what, I don't even know what song he's introducing or what story he's telling now. Couldn't hear a word, man. Like, and everyone talk, talk, talk. Talk. And I don't and think they, that's the but, fault of the venue because the sound in the underworld no. is, is good. Like, you know, it, it is genuinely oh, good. It's hard to like drown for, out that sound. Yeah. The sound for turnover was great. Like yeah, when yeah, they yeah. were playing, like 
But I was like, as much as I tried to focus, all I could hear was conversations each side mm-hmm. of me encroaching on music. And then what fucked me off the most. So about, I, I literally, I enjoyed about half of the set and then the rest of the set, I was actually just pissed off that I couldn't hear most of the songs I really was excited to hear for my first time while everyone is talking over them and people are looking at me like I was a dick for like giving mm. out to people for not shutting up. And then the last three songs of the set are songs from Peripheral Vision and the two fucking American ones next to me start dancing together and singing along to every word at the top of their lungs like they're the biggest turnover fans ever. Like they literally spent the entire set one of them with her back to the stage talking obnoxiously loud and telling me to move if I don't like them talking. Or when she tapped me at one stage and she was like, there's a guy over there talking. Are you going to tell him to stop talking? Like full on provoking me. Like, and I was just like, whatever, you're a fucking dumb American prick and I don't even want to acknowledge you anymore. And then the last three songs, it was like, I know every word. I am the biggest turnover fan. These songs are my jam. And I'm like, you really... You're really like, you're really going to play this whole, I'm such a turnover fan and I love these songs and I'm dying to hear them and I'm singing along and embracing my friend, even though you have spent 12 of these 15 songs talking shit, obnoxiously loud in earshot of everyone, drowning out my entire enjoyment of the set. And if it was happening to me, it was happening to other people and other people maybe are just a little more gentlemanly, but I'm not when it comes to my tunes. And... Yeah, that that was the cherry. That was the icing on the cake for me. That like, they they they. It was literally like they had paid thirty quid mm. to come and talk all night and then get those three songs that they knew they would play. And then and they literally were dancing around and singing along the top of their lungs like they were the biggest fans in the world. And I'm like, I'm not trying to gatekeep a band, but I'm like, I knew the words to every single fucking song from every single album played tonight. And all I wanted to do was listen and dance yeah. and. Instead, I listen to you have an obnoxiously loud conversation for 50 minutes of an hour and 10 minute set and then sing along and dance for the last three songs like you're the biggest fan here. Fuck them and fuck anyone who goes to a show and talks all the way through the show. Like it's, and I know there's always that thing, oh, you paid money, you can do what you want. Fuck no, man. And you know what? It's the thing that turnover as well are the type of relaxed band that they knew, they must have known that like, we play five songs off our new album. We can mm. literally hear half the crowd grumbling and talking while we're playing them. Uh, then I'm talking in between songs. The crowd are still talking. And then we play any songs off of our second album, our earliest album. And everyone knows all the words and sings along and screams and applauds like mental hits. And then goes back to talking shit when they're playing the songs they don't like. Like, why bother going to the show then? It really felt like I was the only one at the show who would listen to anything beyond Peripheral Vision. Yeah. I'm like, does it like? I'm like, dude, I'm like, why even? I, you're not really turnover fans if you like that one album. Like, I really thought in a show like that, it would be people like me who have continued respecting each album. And I understand some people go to shows and like prefer other albums to others, but like, you don't fucking just have full blown, super loud conversations for the majority of the set and in between songs when the artist is talking because you don't like those songs and have a total disregard for the people who do want to hear those songs. I have never felt more of a, I, the fact that I got so annoyed and pissed off at a turnover show yeah. when turnover is should be so such chill, a like, night. Yeah. yeah. I yeah, really yeah. thought after like going to such an intense hardcore show on the Thursday, turnover would be a lovely dancey come down kind of vibe yeah. thing. And instead 
I got the euphoria and the transcendent joy from being at the hardcore showcase and I ended up leaving turnover fucked off. Do you know what though? I, I, and I will segue into the album by, that we're speaking on today by saying I've bought a ticket to see this band in two weeks time, uh, three, uh, in about three weeks time in London. And I am safe in my assumption. I don't think the same thing is going to happen. I think that everyone who's going to be at this show is going to be there to punch and jump and mosh and cry and sing along to every song on display at this next band set. Uh, so yeah, today we're talking about Heart Attack Man. Yes, we are. Whose music is actually, whose music can actually be quite a great, fun, sugary, poppy expulsion for really negative, violent, angry thoughts toward people. So mm. it's actually a really I'm glad we're talking about this album today because it's it's going to be a bit cathartic to take my mind off of the turnover debacle. Do you know what? I think that's actually kind of the crux of 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 this record. That's really where I think the 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 important part of the record comes in. So yeah, like you said, we're going to be talking about Heart Attack Men. Um, the album's called Freaking Nature. Uh, it was released a couple of weeks ago um, by the time this comes out. Um, they're a punk rock, emo, pop punk band from Cleveland, Ohio. Um, that pretty much kind of ends my knowledge of the band, you know, aside from a few things you've told me. Um, so do you want to quickly fill us in on uh, me and the listeners on Heart Attack Men and, and how we've gotten here? Well, Heart Attack Man is essentially the baby or the brainchild of Eric Egan. He's the primary songwriter. He's the vocalist. Lyricist. Guitar player. Lyricist, vocalist, yeah. guitarist, mm-hmm. bassist. He, he's, it's his baby for the okay. most part. Like when Heart Attack Man started, it was formed in 2013. Their debut album, uh, The Manson Family, came out in 2017. But... For all intents and purposes, I've always kind of perceived Heart Attack Man, even though they are trying to branch out into more of a band now. But Heart Attack Man at the very beginning was Eric and Adam. And Adam's his like old friend drummer. So like in studio, Heart Attack Man is essentially Adam on drums and Eric doing everything else. Okay. So that 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 had been Heart Attack Man for a long time. And then at some point down the line, Ty Sickles, came in as a second guitarist and they've kind of kept that core trio since mm-hmm. they've had a few bassists come and go and in between projects so i think they're kind of you know i think a band sometimes get to a point where after one or two interchangeable members they're like you know what let's just establish us as the core group and we'll use session musicians going forward so like when, when uh, back in the day uh, eric the primary songwriter he would sing and play guitar but now he's kind of come into his own as like a full-on front man. So for, for the most part, you really have Eric singing, writing the lyrics, writing most of the music, writing guitar and bass. And then you have Ty on second guitar and Adam on drums. Mm-hmm. And then when they play live, Eric just sings and they have a session guitarist and a session bassist. Okay, cool. So yeah. And right. so, because like, if you you can check out their audio tree set from their second album, and like Eric singing and playing guitar. I mean, all all the way up through their debut, the Manson Family, their second album, which was the one I really got into them in 2019, Fake Blood. Those two albums, it was always Eric singing and playing guitar, and then they they really kind of went this subtle stylistic shift on the Thoughts and Prayers EP in 2021, and that's when like music videos came out where Eric was just singing 
And people kind of realized, oh, Eric is kind of taking more of a frontman approach now. So that's when they started bringing in a session guitarist and a session bassist to do Eric's studio parts. So Eric can really just be more of a frontman. Yeah, I think he wants to just enjoy his project more. Yeah. Live, I mean. Um, musically, is this album a reflection of where they've been? Yes and no. It's strange because, the, for, okay, for starters, like you said, there. even if you go on their Wikipedia, it's mm. like punk rock, pop punk, emo, hardcore punk, alternative rock. They're kind of a melting pot of all that shit. Eric is like, Eric Egan is like, you know, the bastard child of like all that music I grew up on as well. The emo revival shit, mm-hmm. title fight, basement, mm-hmm. citizen, modern baseball. He reps all that shit. And he like, I mean, he's even got an acoustic cover of a title fight song, Stab out there. And so he's, you can tell like he grew up on all of that shit, but he's also got like hardcore love. And so the Manson family was very much a emo pop punk slacker rock kind of debut and it was really fun in the vein of lyrics and it would it would have been more like um i don't it's it's kind of like almost garage emo a lot of it it's very weezer indebted like i was gonna say is there is there weezer in there Yeah. yeah yeah it's like a very slacker kind of weezer style and then fake blood the second album which is the one that really clicked them for me Fake Blood is really aggressive, but but it's a big pop punk record. So I mean, okay, like it's like big power chord riffs. Like the first song I heard by them was Out for Blood. And Out for Blood is literally a song written from the point of view of Kirk Douglas or Michael Douglas in Falling Down. Okay. So when he like flips out and starts going on his rampage and then I started looking into Heart Attack Man's lyrics and started realizing that that Eric Egan's lyrics, uh, even his online persona, a lot of the time is purposefully provocative and he writes lyrics to provoke like negative feelings. I mean, you don't like they've gotten a lot. Of, <laughs> yeah. Gotten a lot of shit with fake blood uh, for the song Cut My Losses about not sure if it's about an ex or about an old friend, but the song is basically about someone using the threat of suicide to make him feel guilty and worried. And people were like, I can't believe this band have written a song making fun of people who commit suicide. And he was like, that's not what the fucking song's not about. It's yeah. about like, yeah. And that's why it's called Cut My Losses. You know, I'll just cut my losses. Uh, I'll go, I'll walk down the road. You'll go across it you know, like wrist like mm. you have to go down to actually make it work. So it's quite a grim album lyrically, but like musically, it it had the big blue album power chords with a bit of like, um, like a hardcore grit, but, but restrained by its pop punk formula. And I just, I couldn't remember the last time I'd heard a pop punk band write songs that were so like button pushing, you know, and envelope pushing and angry and angsty, even though, they never go like fucking knock loose motherfucker. You know, it never goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It stays within the confines of these sugary pop punk songs, even though the yeah. lyrics and the vocal performances can get a little unhinged. And then the Thoughts and Prayers EP dropped in 2021, which was a big stylistic kind of leap for them, where it seems like they really kind of went. I think the reason Thoughts and Prayers in 2021 was an EP is because 
it kind of got out some tendencies. He obviously wanted to flex. Like there's a song, the opening track on that EP is called Puke. And that's a straight up hardcore punk song, like a big trudging, heavy, vicious hardcore song. And there's also a song on that called Cool To Me, which another we've, one. We've, we've got talked about this shit. song a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. The, the song about basically defending. Yeah, defending people who've been accused of shit, but because they're your friends. You know, I know I crucified someone on the internet for the same shit last week, but this is different. I've known him for years. He isn't like that, you know? Yeah, and like yeah. He's always been cool. To- and it's a really uncomfortable fucking song. And that, and that song has like almost this no wave trudge to it. But then, and then, like, like I said, the EP's called Thoughts and Prayers. And the song about thoughts and prayers is like you... You know, when school shootings happen and everything, yeah, and he's yeah. just like, oh, thoughts and prayers, but no one fucking cares. But then the last two tracks on that EP, Pitch Black, which was the single, and Leap Year, they really kind of felt like he had really kind of cracked the, the pop punk, the angry pop punk formula he'd been kind of searching for throughout the Manson family and fake blood. And like a lot of those albums where their influences on their sleeves and are quite emo pop mm-hmm. punk, bit aggressive, but the thoughts and prayers EP, those two final cuts is where he really was like, this is how I combine emo and pop punk with aggression. And this is the heart attack man sound I've been searching for, for two albums. And I found it on this EP. What I find curious about what you asked me about, you know, is the new album freak of nature indicative of their older sound what i find curious is this new album was produced by and i'm going to make you feel old and out of the loop for a minute because you know of my emo trap tendencies yeah this album is produced by lil aaron now i'm not sure how familiar you are with lil aaron completely unfamiliar uh, okay lil aaron really quick side note is he's kind of like he is the He's quite admirable. Like, I mean, he's like my age. He's like my build. Uh, as big, long, green fucking hair, a big bushy beard. And he'd be one of just the pioneering emo trap artists. He kind of was one of the ones who really saw the the longevity and the, the you know, the financial kind of qualities of combining pop punk with like trap motifs. Like he, he'd be in a, he's in a group called Boyfriends with Lil Lotus and Smart Death, who'd be another two big artists in the scene. But Lil Aaron has like, he went from working with like Wicca Faze and like all those emo trap lads to like going on to produce for artists like Kim Petras and like Grammy award winning pop artists. So he's in a really like, he's worth a nice few million now and he's living in LA and, but he hasn't, you know, he still dresses like a fucking mall got from back in the day. And, mm. and he's like, he, he, his, his couch is like the stuff of legend in Los Angeles. He gave like Dylan Brady from 100 Gex a couch to stay on when he was starting out in LA. And oh, why Aaron's did he do that? Like, why? Why did he do that? <laughs> <laughs> we're not getting there. We're not going there. We're not going there. <laughs> but Lil, so Lil Aaron is like, you know, like he's done tracks with Travis Barker and everything. He's like he's the, one he's the, the John ch- Feldman of, of, this, of this scene. Of this kind of emo trap shit, yeah. He's <laughs> he's become a really successful, self-made producer and artist. Cool. And I and Lil Aaron is just likable. I, I love him to bits. So I watched um there's like a 20-minute documentary, Heart Attack Man released, about this recording this new album called Rig the Room. And you see that Lil Aaron like was an on-hand producer for the whole album. So 
like Lil Aaron, like I said, now worth a few million, but he really likes Heart Attack, man. And like, and he's become friends with them since before he, they worked on the album together. But he like, Lil Aaron basically said he was like, Heart Attack Man are one of my favorite bands at the moment. One of my favorite modern bands. I love what they do. I love their weird niche for like aggro, emo-y pop punk. And what he said was, I, I've loved everything they've done and I've loved those first two albums. But I kept listening to them and thinking, oh, if I worked with them like my vision for where they how they could kind of re tighten up their sound and reshape their sound and so i think the boys i don't know how they exactly met but they've become like really good friends especially like eric the the, the, the like i said the mastermind of Artac man and him and aaron just kind of he went out and met aaron because aaron was like i want to work with you in la and when he came back he told the boys he was like he gets it he's the guy and you know and it says a lot that like little aaron like i said he's working with like Grammy Award winning producers, but he literally went down to Cleveland, Ohio in the winter time and spent like six weeks in like snow capped, cold as fuck, nothing to do Cleveland with the boys in their tiny little makeshift studio where they, because the thing about Heart Attack Man is they were on Triple Crown for the last like two albums and EP, but they've now left Triple Crown and started their own company. So they're completely self-sufficient now. They, I think it was a case of like, they probably did the numbers, crunched the numbers on how much money they had to give to Triple Crown and how much they were making back and realizing that it, they could just do it self-sufficiently. So they have like this warehouse now. They have, to be fair to them, they've all learned how to screen print, print merch. So now they do all of their own merch. They That's do cool. other bands merch. And, yeah, bands hire them for their merch. So they have their own clothing brand called Evil Doer. And then the label is now called Many Hats Distribution. So like I've got the new album on vinyl and it's literally Many Hats 001. So they have their own label, cool. their own merch now. Yeah, they're a completely self-sufficient entity. So they have this warehouse where they do it all. And then they record, so they recorded the album at home in their own studio with their own engineer and brought little Aaron down from LA. And... Aaron's work with them, I feel like, is evident because across the Manson family and Fake Blood, there there are songs that are stronger than other songs, and there are moments where, like, I, I you can see what they're doing, but there could just be a tighter vision of that. And I think Aaron, because of working in pop and all, and and really seeing the the pop side of punk music, which is like his kind of bread and butter, but then also really appreciating that Heart Attack Man shtick is the aggro, angsty, emo pop punk. He's really helped them to kind of artistically elevate themselves on Freak of Nature to where I think they've always wanted to be. And like, and I think that's kind of even expressed by Eric where I think it's that thing where they're like three albums and a couple of EPs in. This is kind of what he always had in his head for Heart Attack Man to sound like. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, it is it is quite, it's not a million miles from their older material, but there is a, there is a sense of like, this feels, and I don't mean this in a negative way, I mean this in a positive, this feels like a really calculated project. This feels like a really calculated project. Uh, a painting just fell down behind me. It's all good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So it, it really feels like this was poured over as an album to really kind of show where the band are now. And uh, uh, yeah, that's kind of my summation of Heart Attack Band to cool. where they are now. So with Freaking Nature, like I said, it came out a couple of weeks ago. It's only 29 or so minutes. Um, the album artwork is like super misleading. It looks like a fucking stick to your guns record or something. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's like, it, does. It, it does not look like a pop punk record, but um, so judging the book by its cover and all that stuff. Um, this was a really interesting listen. 
because I went through uh, your classic roller coaster of emotions with it. Um, just for a little bit of background, I absolutely fucking love like, you know, Sum 41, Good Charlotte. Um, one of my favorite like pop punk, punk rock bands is Alkaline Trio, who wrap up kind of dark subject matter in sugary melodies and that you know they do that trojan horse thing if they get some real darkness into their lyrics but they just put it in such an inescapable melody that you're kind of like oh this is fun and that's a trick that um heart attack men do really really well on this record the the roller coaster i mentioned my first kind of reaction to this record was a little bit kind of Mm, I'm not sure about this. And it was mainly due to the lyrical content. And because some of the lyrics, which we'll get into, are very, very on the nose and they're very kind of like, I don't know, should you be talking about that, man? But I did a little bit of reading and a little bit of background and just to kind of, because I was like, there must be something more to this. I must be missing something, you know? And uh, apparently it's like representative of like an old kind of mental health status that I'm guessing Eric felt he had like this uncomfortability and these dark thoughts and this anxiety. And it's kind of stuff that he has moved on from, but stuff he still felt he needed to express. And that then allowed me, that then allowed me to enjoy this a little bit more because it's like that, you know, the classic thing of, you know, making jokes about the worst things you possibly can as a coping mechanism almost, you know, and it's like, if you don't laugh, you'll cry almost kind of thing, you know? And once I was able to view the album in that, through that lens, I was like, ah, okay, I get it. And just on your, um, your point about that, this is really poured over as a project and as an album and as a record, you can hear that, but there's one big mistake they make in this record that really hampers it for me anyway but we'll get to that um so the 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 first track then is practice in the mirror i will before you get into the tracks i will say though yeah i the point i think he did make was that because now he's just entered his 30s yeah so this album is kind of meant to be the, the reflection of all of the emotions of be going through your twenties and the yeah. the semi adolescence and the anger and the figuring shit out and there was Not like they even put out a stat, yeah. yeah. It, so like before this album came out, they, he released an acoustic standalone single called Loud and Clear, and there's a line in that where he says, you know, um, uh, I'm 28 and just feeling like my life is just starting. And I think a lot of people get to that point when they're re- approaching 30 where mm. they're like, what the fuck was I doing in my 20s? Like, and I think yeah. we all kind of get that sense of rerouting. And he did say the title track on this record, Freak of Nature, that he wrote that first and he kind of knew straight away that would be the title of the album and that would dictate the attitude of the rest of the album because he said like, he was like, I don't know about speaking for other people, but he said in my you know, grow, going up through my 20s, you know, going to shows, going to parties. He says, I always had that anxiety about me and how I fit in and am I different? And he was like, and a lot of the time I would just boil it down to I'm a fucking freak, even yeah. though I'm, I'm like in a scene with people who like the same music as me, the same art as me. Like, he's like, I always just felt like an outsider, a, a fucking freak of nature. And 
then he kind of was like, you know, maybe I'll always feel like that. And, may, and maybe maybe all of my peers feel like that too. And it's something we all harbor inside of us. And maybe it isn't about us all fitting in and being like clones of one another. We should embrace our individuality, our freakish nature, if you will. And that, and that, even that message, I just think is, I, that is like, that's how you draw a basis for an emo pop punk album yeah. by embracing being a freak nature. I, I, so yeah, let's get into the, let's get into the album. Just because, it. just no, no, because you've mentioned it, the title track, Freak of Nature, it's track two on the album. It's the biggest yeah. mistake on the whole album because that song is an absolute worldy. Like that is a 10 out of 10 track. It's fucking it is. It's outrageous. Fucking, it's, a it's outrageous, it's a man. It's, a, it's an actual it's classic. Class- I could not believe how good it was. It's got that Sum 41 riffing meets Blink-182 melodies. Its chorus is fucking enormous. You know, and it's like, yeah. the the way that the, he plays with the lyrics, you know, I don't like the way you're looking at me. That All that stuff and like, uh, like I'm someplace I shouldn't be, you know, or, or no, I kind of like the way they're looking at me. You know, it's like, like I'm someplace, like I'm someplace I, shouldn't I shouldn't be. be. And yeah. you're just like, uh, oh man, I, I was just blown away because for all intents and purposes, the opening track, Practice in the Mirror, is like, it's it's a song in its own right, but it's quite short and it's cu- quite, you know, acoustically driven and it, it feels like you're building up into an album. Like it feels like an intro almost, even though it is definitely a song in its own right. And it's really good, like really good. I loved Practice in the Mirror. I thought it started the album off brilliantly. But... The and reason, I think but I the reason Freak of Nature is a mistake at track two is because the album never ever approaches those heights again. And it just comes too early in the track list. Because I is when I heard the first two tracks, I was like, oh, oh shit, buggy's onto something here. Like this is gonna be fucking cracking. And I was waiting for you know another freak of nature style song or another another song as good as Freak of Nature. And man, it took me so many listens to get over it. I was like, no, because I have to say, I now really, really, really like this album. Like, I really like it. Yes. I think it's, I, I actually think it's excellent. I'm really on board with it. And like I said, once I realigned how I was thinking about it and the lyrical, you know, side of it, that's a little bit dodgy at times. And I was like, okay, I get that now. But it's just, man, my expectations are so high after Freak of Nature. I was like, oh my God, this is going to be the best album of the year. And it just, it never quite gets there, despite some of the other tracks being fucking brilliant as well. Do you know what I mean? I, yes, I, I understand what you mean, because Freak of Nature was the lead single. Mm. But I, and I, and it's, it's fucking huge. It had to be the lead single. Oh, yeah. And I, and I get what you're saying, but... A part of me, like I kind of before the album came out, I was under the impression it was. I just felt like it was an opening track, and then when I realized it was track two, I kind of knew "Practiced in the Mirror." Even before I listened to it, it was going to be this slower yeah. intro, and then it brings up the energy on "Freak of Nature." But I think, I think it had to be early in the record because it's basically the conceptual song that that ties <laughs> the rest of the tracks together. I know, I know. But like, honestly, like, I, I just want to get across to, to the people listening who might not have heard this record. And if you haven't, you really should. I'm not talking about like a kind of, you know, a song on the level of 
I don't know, fuck it, who, who, like, like a neck deep. I mean, like, I think freaking nature can hang with, like, the anthem by Good Charlotte and Fat Lip by Some 41. Like, I mean, that's, yeah. that's where I'm putting freaking nature. Like, I think it is absolutely unbelievable. It's one of my favorite songs this year. Like, I think it is an absolute stunner. And like, when I say alongside Fat Lip, I, I think Fat Lip, along with My Friends Over You by Newfound Glory, have claims to being the best pop punk songs of all time. And I mean, freaking nature might not quite reach that level, but it ain't fucking far off. So, so good. The first time I heard Freak of Nature, even that opening riff, the chin chin, na 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 Yeah, it's so good. I had heard, yeah, it was like, I was like, I was 13 again. I was like, I was like, it was like I'd heard the song a million times in the, in the best way possible. And I do, but I do love how, because I feel like Practiced in the Mirror is a really poignant intro because of, like you said, it's a predominantly acoustic driven, real slow, emo, melancholic, slow building cut. But I love the 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 final refrain where it feels like he's kind of it's about him finding purpose in like living again, you know, hold on, stay a while, make yourself comfortable. I think he's talking to himself there, you know, it's, hold um, on, stay, a while, make yourself comfortable. Like, you know, it it's about like enjoy finding a reason to enjoy being alive on Earth. And it's still like, you know, not feeling it like it's all like, going to shit. You know, the social anxiety thing where you're like. You're psyching yourself up. You're practicing in the mirror of how you're going to talk to yeah, people almost. Hold on. You know, it's like, hold on, stay here, be comfortable. You're fine. Like, you know, it's like he's almost reassuring himself. And I really, really like that. I thought it was brilliant. Um, and then I, I do love how, like, you've that big sugary riff, opening riff on Freak of Nature. And to open the track with the, what the fuck are uh, you <laughs> looking at? It's, it's, yeah. you, you immediately get Eric's attitude. Like, yeah. he's, he's just going for the jugular. Like, you know, is there something you'd like to say? Like, and, so and even that whole thing. And, and even that, that, that whole owning the individuality, you know, like, I kind of like the way they're staring at me. Yeah. Like, I'm somewhere I shouldn't be. And then at the end, you know, you fucking hate the way I'm staring at yeah. you. This evil look that's in my eye. Like, you know, like, I'm a freak of nature. Uh, I've come out of my cage. I'm on my worst behavior. In other words, like, I'm done making apologies for who yeah. I am. Like, I, just, I think it's such an anthem. It's and such an anthem, man. We, it's uh, fucking incredible. I cannot stress enough. How good. Like, it's so weird that a song this good is is buried on an album that, I, I, like, they're a sizable band, but they're not massive, like. No, and, no, no. And, like, the idea that there's people out there who fucking love, like, um, you know, The Young and the Hopeless, and they love All Killer No Filler, and particularly Does This Look Infected by Some 41. Like, particularly yeah. Does This Look Infected with the kind of more metal riffing on it. And they might never no, hear this song. Early. Yeah. What the fuck, man? But yeah, so... It's, then, that, it's that early offspring-influenced pop punk, that metal-tinged, aggro-punk, yeah. hardcore-y adjacent, but it's still pop punk. Definitely. You know? Um, and then, then we get comes to Like, like a Kennedy. And this was one of the ones Which first time is, around that really put me off. I was a bit like... What? Take me out like a very Kennedy. Take me out. And it's like, you, so you want to get shot in the head, is it? And like, they add in like a gunshot sound effect and everything. And it's like, it's very on the Can I, before you continue, you know? 
before you continue, I, I, a thing I love about Heart Attack Man is that, like, if you watch the Rig the Room documentary, like, Eric is big into guns. Like, right, they're okay. from, like, Cleveland, sort of. The boys like guns. So, like, <laughs> like recording, they, they literally didn't want to use sampled gunshots that are just online. So the lads literally, like, mic'd up and went outside with, like, sniper rifles and handguns and recorded all the gunshots like manually because they wanted their their own gunshots to be on the album i love shit like that like he's just standing there like yeah we got the rifle i've got my nine he just pulls a fucking nine out of his pocket and shit like so you know even emos can like guns i suppose yeah. but like like a kennedy i knew when the track came out before i'd even listened to it i was like oh eric here we go this is a pop punk song about like you know this is literally going to be like kill me like a kennedy i knew it full of, i knew it straight away and that, but that's eric egan man yeah like this like i said this is if you watch their audio tree set when they're doing out for blood he's literally like this is a song from the point of view of michael douglas in the movie falling down and if you ever felt that way fuck yeah <laughs> he's very open about like mm. the bluntness and strangeness of his fucking lyrics uh but i think like a kennedy is an anthem man oh man it's great <laughs> It is. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah, and it's like, it's like he's in on the joke. I think he's in on the joke of the on the nose lyrics to a point where yeah. it's like, dude, I taste it. He's like, I know, but it's catchy, right? Like he's he's winking at you the whole way through that. Like he's, a little bit. Yeah, I think the now that I know that it's a bit more about feeling out of place and just wanting to be put out of your misery. You know, and using it and the really shocking metaphor of being taken out like a Kennedy. Like, it's a weird, like, pop punk murder ballad, like, type thing. It's fucking, it's great. It's great. It's actually great. It's, despite my initial reaction, it's great. I really want to know, what are your opinions on uh, Late to the Orgy? So, Late to the Orgy, um... (laughs) <laughs> the line in it, you know, everybody's come when I'm late to the RG. It's just like, come on, like, come on, man. Everybody came. And I, everybody came. I'm late to the RG. Like, I think it's fucking like, brilliant. That's, but, that's what I love. Like. But it is hard to imagine a song with that title of late to the RG containing that lyric being emotionally resonant. But it is, mm-hmm. and you know, that lazy sound and style of, you know, asking the same goddamn question. You know, it's like, it's really effective. And it's got like a kind of a a Beck kind of vibe to it, like a kind of a, a, a loose. What like, surfers mm. in the verses it almost has this bottle surfers, Beck, spoken yeah. words, slacker, college rock Absolutely, weirdness yeah. to it. Yeah. And then uh, it goes full. I think like, it's brilliant. Emo yeah, I yeah, think I think later the RG is brilliant and it shouldn't be. But there's a lot of stuff on this that I'm like, I, I almost like in spite of myself. And it was one of those ones where I really had to do a little bit of research and be like, okay, this is like you're he's taking some of his darkest thoughts and using the most kind of weird and fucked up and out there metaphors he can to express feelings of uncomfortability and anxiety and everything. And after that, I was able to be like, Okay, I'm I'm on board now. Um, <laughs> the next song. at the end of the day, when, <laughs> but hold on. But when you went like because we're laughing at like, see, I love Heart Attack Man. And I love Eric Egan's lyrics because he can write a line like 
everybody came and I'm late to the orgy in the verse. But then that chorus, that, that like you said, that resonant, almost uncomfortably relatable chorus of, you know, I can't stop staring at my reflection, yeah. asking the same goddamn question. Am I by myself or is everyone else asking the same goddamn question? Mm. Like, it's like, like, am I alone in this? Surely I can't be, but why the fuck do I feel so alone in this? And why can't I talk to anyone about it? Like, I I think it's great. And then, <laughs> then we get stick up. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody get down and no one gets hurt. And no one gets hurt. Everybody, Everybody get, get down. down. I got a gun. gun. It's my sweatshirt. Like, what the fuck, man? Like, what? Like, he said that his influence for this song was Paper Planes by MIA and like Clint Eastwood <laughs> by the Gorillas. <laughs> and like, he wanted to make a conventionally sounding pop song but then use lyrics that would make it completely disqualified for being a pop song. And it's like, yeah, you've yeah. done that. Um, and it's interesting, actually, that you mentioned Little Aaron and the stuff, Little, says me, Granddad. All right, Granddad, Little Aaron and his production work with, like, pop artists, because it makes so much sense now, because if you want to write a pop song, you get a pop producer. And this works as a pop song, despite the fucking like school shooter vibe lyrics. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, what the fuck, man? It's the lyrics are very, very like, <laughs> you know, I got a gun inside my sweatshirt. Is it is very like, all right, but <laughs> chill out a small bit, you know? And, and, and especially when, like I said, like the boys are into their guns. So like, yeah. you know, <laughs> When you when you have like a band who who like just like for outsiders to like see these lads own guns, they mm. like guns. They they're writing a song where the hook is a, like basically from the point of view of someone holding up like a shop or holding yeah. up a school. And, but then once you get into the verses, you you realize you know that like <laughs> at the end of the day, it's a really on the nose, very very poorly timed. <laughs> metaphor for seizing the day and taking what's yours you yeah. know and, and i get like when you think about how this album is the first album on their own label the first album since they started doing their own merch you know it's like he says everything's in front of me sitting right there you know it's like i i should hold this fucking place up i should take i should steal what i want i should hold the scene up at gunpoint and fucking take my dues take my mm. credit take my money because I'm writing good enough material and I'm working hard enough that I deserve this. And, you know, and then, and then when, it, when it gets to that, like, okay, first of all, have you seen the video for this song? No. The video is the three of them hanging out in the woods, being stupid while walking dogs. But there's a point in the video when it gets to the bridge where, you know, the, this is a stick up. So put the money, money in, in the, the bag. bag. Them, yeah. It's got like that old 90s hip hop sample. Yeah. Now you have to keep in mind, Heart Attack Man take their name from the Beastie Boy song of the same name. Mm -hmm. And in the video to stick up, that bit, which is almost a bit Beastie Boy sounding, the video, that moment in the video, they all go full like 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 they're wrapping up really aggro-y at the camera in the woods and they're all wearing beanie hats and the video looks like it's an identical recreation of the Chich Check It... No, not Chich Check It Out. The... Oh, what's that cut off of Check Your Head by the Beastie Boys? Um, 
Fuck, it escapes me now. Um, Alpha check your head. Yeah, the one where they're in the woods. Ah. Um. Bear with me two seconds. We got so what you want. That's it. Yeah. So what you what you what you want, yeah, what yeah. You want. The for that where they're all just jumping around in the woods, like. The bit in the stick-up video when they're doing that, this is a stick-up moment, feels like it's a complete homage to that Beastie Boys song and that Beastie Boys video. And that bit almost feels a bit Beastie Boys-esque, but I really feel that whole, this is a stick-up, put the money in the bag, is like him talking about the album and talking about the band and talking about, like, mm. we're going for it on our own, we're being self-sufficient, we're about to go on a world headline tour promoting this record. This is our version of a stick-up. But then go back to the chorus where it is just a big sugary chorus but telling everyone to get down. Do you know what? Really, like, I had some really kind of fucked up thoughts about the this song if they play it live. But um, I love the idea of, like, you know, them playing a venue and the security have no idea what's going on. And they get a whole room of people saying, everybody get down, got a gun, it's a bass sweatshirt. I really think that's really fucking funny. Like... I think that's really funny. It's a twist. It is. It is. And then it, it's it, 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 it's almost weirder when you when you compare it to what comes next. Because God Called Off Today is like a kind of a very kind of high high art metaphor, you know, but like, you know, trying yeah. to get in contact with God, but God isn't there. And, you know, it, it's it's almost jarring subject matter wise. When you, when you compare it to stick up, you know, um, but again, somehow um, it works really well. Like, I, I really like God Call After Day, actually. It's really cool. I think it's a good, um, I, I think Eric knows very much when to like, when he's gone really far on like a shithead metaphor, like with something like stick up. Okay. And then when he, and he knows when to kind of dial it back and, okay, okay. and bring out his, his 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 poetic side again or his more emotional side and and I feel God called off today again it has his quirky like his quirky metaphors and his strange way of kind of delivering messages but I do love that whole you know like I want to I want to speak to the manager of planet earth uh everything was it uh, everything's broken my head's heavy and it hurts you know, and it's like, you know, it's like, you you know, I need to complain to the management about like the state of this shit because like, and there is no one to complain about. like, And that is yeah. the kind of thing. It's like, well, what the fuck do we do? Like, can we call up God and be like, oh, the planet's fucked and life is shit. And no, there's no God to call up. Like, there's no, God called off today, but it feels like God called off today every day of the fucking life. Like, I love that he, he got, he gets through to the receptionist. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was yeah. really funny. Like, you know, you get through to it. Like, yeah, yeah, I thought that was really good. He commits that much to it, like, yeah. yeah. But then, I, I think God Called Off Today is a nice, sad, emotive kind of respite. Before we get to what I think is, I think C4 is like, I think C4, it isn't the same standard as Freak of Nature, but I think C4 is another instant pop punk classic in the making. Just the it's entire crazy. hook, the... I've rigged the room with explosives. Vi- was it violent and void, void of, of emotion. emotion? I'm not afraid to go out this way. I'm not afraid to go up in flames in a moment's notice. It's <laughs> and then <laughs> man. Everybody how newfound glory! How newfound glory is this song? 
It's like, oh yeah, it's mad. Like, but it's great, man. I did not think that you could make a hook out of "I've rigged the room with explosives," you know, like. But heart attack man, it proved me wrong. So well. It works so I have well. Found, since that album, that's one. That's you know the way. Like nearly every album, there's one hook that stays yeah. with you. Like I have found yeah. myself just, like tidying the gap. I'm like, I've rigged the room with explosives. It's no. just, it's such a good fucking hook, man. For me, like I'm, I'm like washing fucking dishes, being like. <laughs> I'm a freaking nature. <laughs> That's what I've been yeah. fucking jamming. But yeah, yeah. C- C4 is fucking massive, man. Massive. And do you know what's fucked up? They're they're roaring at people, and I'm not afraid to do it, and blah blah blah. And then at the end of the song, they fucking do it. They blow everything up anyway. Like so, it was all pointless. Yeah, you yeah. Know? But uh, yeah, uh, it's yeah. C4 again, man. It's just a straight up pop punk banger. Like and like you said. It, there's a couple of tracks on this like that really do if they if they get the right audience. Like they have a potential for being lasting, like staples of the genre, you know. Um, Nine on your bedside um, has, I think, this one of my is... my favorite musical parts in this. I love the. Um, do you know the riff? And it goes a, uh, the, do 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 do. You know, it has the harmonics yeah, at the end of the riff. Ah, I love this, when that. You, when you mentioned when you mentioned does this look infected earlier? Nine on your bedside was yeah. the first track that shot right in the mouth. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and do you know who, lyrically is. Do you know who's all over this as well? Before we get into the lyrics, because yeah, we need to talk okay. about the lyrics on this. This sounds really like drug church. I think it's got that fucking like like really like full on everything is in there compression like fucking. Everything is just right there, you know? And it's like, it's got that kind of nihilism to it, I think, as well. The I don't we've know always, what this we've, song we've is about, you know? Me neither. We've described Drug Church, though, as like hardcore Weezer. Hardcore and this Weezer, song yeah. kind of really does, and This song really does kind of feel like a hardcore Weezer cut at times. Yeah. But yes, lyrically, I'm not fully... For as direct and on the nose as the lyrics are here, it's not quite... The, all that evident what it's actually about or who he's actually talking about here like I it took me a while to click it wasn't until I watched the Rig the Room documentary that I came up with my interpret because for the first few listens to the album I didn't know what nine on your bedside meant uh, but it's a gun, then right? when I watched the documentary yeah. yeah and when he pulled out his gun he was like I've got my nine I was like ah nine on your bedside you've got a nine on your bedside the only thing keeping you alive and then it makes me think, is he talking about himself then? I see that's where I've come to. Because, yeah. But then he talks about following him home and like the, the this song, right? The chorus, for those of you who uh, haven't heard it, uh, the hook is kill you in your sleep, quick and painless, short and easy. I wish I could end it all and just set you free. So it sounds like a kind of a mercy killing, like a kind of a euthanasia type thing. But then it's like, of all my enemies, you're first in line. And he talks about like stalking them and, you know, seeing that like the person is wide awake at four in the morning, paranoid and worrying. And I, I want to see your name in memoriam. And you're kind of like, you've ruined everything. You'll be sorry you crossed me. So it's more vengeful than like a mercy killing. But it's like, it's like these two people are like, they're locked in this like ongoing battle and it won't finish until yeah. one of them is dead. So that's when I kind of came around to the idea of maybe it is a kind of a suicide thing or or else um, 
a kind of a killing a part of yourself. But killing a yeah. part of yourself and moving on from, you know, the person that we've talked about in the first few songs who's socially anxious and who's, a, you know, who's, you know, you want to leave that insecure part of yourself behind a little bit. But I don't know. I don't know. What I do know is that kill you in your sleep should not be as fucking catchy as it is on this song. But somehow no, it makes me quite uncomfortable. It makes me it's yeah, it's it's it like it's kind of like a, you're like you sing along to the chorus once and then you're like, oh, I feel dirty. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So I don't know what it's about. But again, it's a fucking good song. A great song. But I do think I, I kind of agree with you where it kind of it really it feels almost too on the nose to just be about someone he, he has an issue with. It feels it feels vengeful to the point where it's almost him going after himself in a way. And then the whole idea of the nine on your bedside, like how many fucking people do you know with nines? Like unless yeah. like he's around people with guns all the time. It's And the fact that in the documentary, he specifically has a nine. Mm. I'm thinking it's about himself. You got a nine on your bedside. So anything keeping you alive. Like Possibly, yeah. Then yeah. we get to clown school, which I must say, there's the line in the hook to clown school, I think is basically a metaphor for heart attack man in general and their lyrical approach throughout this album and all their albums where he says, you know, life's a joke and that's the punchline. You got to laugh at it sometimes. Yeah. He's like, in other words, like, what the fuck am I going to do? Like, And I also think that, to my interpretation is that he's saying goodbye to a friend who died. And I think these last two tracks touch on that. And that's why I think the whole, the whole idea of, you know, you know, I'm so happy and I'm so proud of you for graduating clown school. Mm. Just after it's mentioned that life's a, life's a joke, that's the punchline. You've got to laugh at it sometimes. I'm so proud of you for graduating clown school. Is he talking, is he referring to like life as clown school? Because we're all fucking clowns, like chasing stressed out lives and then his friend dies. So you've graduated from clown school. I'm proud of you, buddy. You don't have to Possibly. deal with this bullshit. I thought, it was, I thought it was more sarcastic. And it was just like, oh, you think you're so fucking funny. I'm proud of you for graduating clown school. Like, you know, I thought it, because he mentions the, you know, you got jokes for days, like it's the first of the month and you're everybody's landlord, which also is like, there's a real negative connotation there. So it's like, ha, 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 ha. Piss myself at the, you know, I, 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 I thought it was more sarcastic, but you could be right to be honest. I don't know. But, and it's all, but, and also the the fact that the first line is, you know, like, uh, uh, look who decided to grow up uh, and mm. get over it. Yeah. I think he, he's like, is he kind of talking about it? I, I feel like he might be talking about himself and then talking about a friend he lost. And that's why I think that, ha, 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 pissed myself from laughing. And, you know, yeah, and that whole, are cracking, the, yeah. Yeah, and the life's a joke, that's the punchline. You got to laugh at it sometimes. Mm. I'm so happy. I'm so proud of you for graduating clown school. Mm. Is it like, part of me is like, oh, maybe it's about a friend copping on, but I, I almost feel like my, my interpretation, it could be totally wrong, but is like saying that life is fucking clown school yeah. and that like his buddy's dead. So he's graduated from it. So he's almost found an escape Possibly, from man, life. Yeah. You could be right. And yeah. then I, and I think that, I, and then I think it's bolstered or emboldened by the fact that the closing track, See You on the Other Side, is clearly about him saying goodbye to a friend like but it's completely undermined by the fucking like 
the the fucking sound effect they put in at the the end of clown school, like the fucking uh, like the the clown <laughs> car, <laughs> like that pissed me off so much. Fucking messer, but then like that hypnotic. 90s acoustic grunge emo intro to see you on the other side I think is so lush it's very um, self-titled Blink-182 album yes it is it It has that kind of yeah got this hypnotic kind of emo-y swing to it and I fucking love that. I'm not sure if it was them or Lil Aaron but there's some turntable in there Mm. Mm. there's some OPM and it's really subtle you know like on paper if I told you all oh, the closing track has the turntables on it, you'd be like, oh, for fuck's sake. I'd like, what is the fuck? But it's so subtle. It's very almost subtle, like yeah. just like a nod to like, hey, it's very much not of the time now, but like it used to work in its place. It's just got like this little slight OPM nod or something. It's just a real subtle bit of turntable at the beginning. I think, I think it works really well. Yeah, it does. And yeah. then, and I, it's a, I see you on the other side is lyrically probably one of the most simple and direct tracks, but I think there's something really, there's something really harrowing about it, man. Like, I, I think it's a perfect closer. I, part of me wishes it was a bit longer, but I feel like it, it kind of, it's, it's purposefully brief that it's just under the three minute mark. You know, that I was unaware that this was the last time, I guess I'll see you on the other side. You know, just that that thing of like accepting like you didn't know when the last time you were going to say goodbye to someone was, yeah. and they, and, and and you know, I just that I just think that you know, and even the hook, you know, when it's over, I want to know it's over because I keep waking up again and again, and it's, it's all, all over. over. Yeah. In in other words, like it's like, you know, and you could interpret that a lot of ways. It's about a relationship or something, but like I feel it's more like you know. I just need, I needed to prepare for the closure and you know, and then that I was unaware this was the last time I'll see you on the other side when it's over. I want to know it's over. You know, that thing of like, I want to know when my people are going to die. Like when, when I see them anymore, I do. I think it's a really sad, harrowing way for it to, for the album to close. And maybe again, it could be completely just my interpretation. He could be talking about an ex. He could be talking about his former self, but it feels really directly. I think like about losing someone like, do you know what it's about? What's it about? His dog. Oh fuck! Yeah, I'm really, I love that. Yeah. That's that's. That's what it's about. It's about his dog. I think the dog's name was Smoke. Uh, give me two seconds. I'm I, I'm I'm nearly certain I read that anyway. Uh, yeah, this song is dedicated to my dog Smoke that passed away. I never got to say goodbye to him, and I miss him so much. He was the goodest chocolate lab in the whole world that ever lived. He deserved all of the treats as well as a song dedicated to him. R.I.P. my buddy. So R.I.P. You know, smoke. That makes, you know, that hits me in a whole other way now because yeah. literally Same. in the last in the last year, I think we both lost our dogs, didn't we? In the yeah, last, I lost last two, year. yeah. You lost two, I lost yeah. one. My, my like my family dog that like we had for 11 years and I, you know, would only ever see him when I went home. And like, yeah. you know, my parents knew like he, he was one of the main reasons I look forward to going home as much as my parents. Like, <laughs> Same as my brother. My brother lives in London and like the first thing he was to do when he got home was talk to the dogs. Yeah. And like, I'd be so happy to walk the dog yeah. and he was just my buddy for you. And like, you know, like when I used to live at home, like the summers, my parents would go away for most of the summers and it would just be myself and Norma, like minding the dog. And when... And it was literally like two weeks before I went home last year for my 30th birthday 
that like and I threw on that gig that I met you at mm. um my mom called me and told me like the dog had just taken a complete turn yeah. like health wise and and she was like I she was like I think he might be okay and then a few days later they were like he, he's not going to be here when you come home for your birthday next week and like yeah. and it really yeah it really yeah. it affected man and I really and I and I hate that I I can't kind of remember you know I remembered my last time being home but I can't remember the last fucking thing I said to the dog or I can't remember I the last my last little bit of goodbye with the dog and like you know yeah. if I he could have longed out another week or two and I could have come home and said goodbye on his so so to hear to hear that that song is about that is just it, 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 I find out that it's clicked with me in a subconscious way anyway like because I knew yeah. how I knew I felt something with it because I've lost people anyway and and I've yeah. and I've I resonated with me but like to hear that it's about his dog you know that's two albums now this year because Hot Mulligan also put out on their new album there's a song mm-hmm. called Betty which is about his dog or cat he doesn't specify passing away and that's two emo pop punk bands now who've written soul destroying songs <laughs> about mm. their pets but I just think that goes to show the, the, the beauty of like you know pets are people man they're like they're as important to us and those relationships are as important to us so uh, I and I, it almost that makes more sense as well of the image a lot of the artwork of freaking nature is like dogs there yeah. and stuff if the yeah, if because the front and the back of it have dog imagery, so that completely ties in now. If see you on the other side, it's about smoke. That that's lovely, you know, yeah. in a in a really sad way. That's it, fucking it, right. It actually really added to to my enjoyment of the final song as well, which is like a really nice kind of balladic, you know, anthemic. As I said, um, self-titled Blink One Eighty Two kind of style pop punk ballad almost. It's really nice. Yeah, um, man. So that I think this is I think this is a hugely successful record. Um I would trust you. Yeah, man, I really like it. I really, really like it. Um it took a little bit of work to get over some of the, the initial kind of shock factor of the lyrics, but when you realize they're not just for shock factor and there's a kind of a deeper meaning to them, it, it makes a hell of a lot of sense. Um I'd never have had this on my radar, like so I'm dead happy I've heard it now. And I think if you're a fan of the self-titled Blink album, Does This Look Infected Era, Some 41, Catalyst Era, New Fun Glory. And if you like Drug Church, I think, like you said, the, the pop punk revival bands, you know, you, you're not going to like this, but there's a fucking load of Neck Deep on this. When Neck Deep were a good pop punk band on Life's Not Out To Get You, there's a shitload of Neck Deep on this. Um, and it has that Alkaline Trio trick of wrapping up some dark shit and like really sugary melodies. Um, to a more blatant <laughs> fashion than even Alkaline Trio did, you know. And um, yeah, I am very on board with this. And it's funny, I wrote the notes for this a couple of days ago and I said, I don't know if it'll make my top 20, but who knows? I really like it. I'll give it a strong seven, bordering on an eight, right? Mm. And in those two days since I've written that, my feelings have changed again. Like, you know, I I definitely give this an eight. And yeah, as for the, as for the top twenty, I wouldn't be surprised if it was there thereabouts. Yeah, yeah, this is great, man. I I fucking really really like it. And I'm gonna say it again for the people in the back. Freak of nature, the title track is an absolute worldy, like a worldy. If this, if I the rest of this, if the rest of this album was a three out of ten, like 
Freak of Nature is so good, it would bring it up to a seven all on its own. Like, that's how good it is. I'm so delighted you like the album so much because, like, I, I found, like I said, I found them in twenty at the very end of 2019 with Fake Blood, and I love Fake Blood. I think Fake Blood's mm-hmm. brilliant. And then I went back and found the Manson family. And then I got super pumped because, you know, the two-year thing, I thought in 2021 we were getting a new album and we got the Thoughts and Prayers five-track mm-hmm. EP, which is excellent. And I could hear they were really kind of really creatively coming into their own. So I've been super hyped for Freak of Nature and it has not let me down at all. It's, it's kind of everything I wanted from the band at this point. It's, it's a bit more direct. It's a bit more concise. It's a bit more focused and it's a lot more emotion and heart. And I'm delighted someone like, like the fact that I've been following them for a few years and been really anticipating this and you went and just blind thrown into the deep end and we've both come out of it just championing it. Like yeah, I'm brilliant. so excited. I can't wait to go see these lads in a few weeks. And I tell you, I don't think there's going to be any annoying Americans talking over the music. <laughs> lyrics to C4 and freaking nature at the top of their fucking lungs and I can't wait man. I hope so man I hope so and I will say just because you mentioned them Hot Mulligan are in a roughly similar genre you know I think this pisses all over the Hot Mulligan album to be honest I that album has let me fucking cold as fuck whereas this I'm engaged with and I just it's it's more my style of of pop punk I think anyway Um, I, I, I'm really I, I, really on board with it I really like Hot Mulligan, but Hot Mulligan kind of lean into it. They lean into a lot of the Midwest emo yeah. motif and then imbue them into the kind of pop punk sound. But Eric really is kind of like, he's almost on a mission to take the old essence of pop punk and mix it with like hardcore bents and a bit. And he, it, it really feels like a project by a guy who like genuinely grew up on our shit. Yeah. And he's just yeah, 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 feeling yeah. all of that. He's like, I, I want to put in a fucking blink riff here and a more acoustic song here. I want a fucking offspring riff there. And he, he's really just letting his freak flag fly, no pun intended. And, and I think you, you hear that too. You, you hear the influences. And because he's the same age as us, like we hear every, we, we hear every nod he's doing. We're like, I see you, Eric. I yeah. get you. I know you're coming from there. And he, but it all feels cohesive under heart attack, man. And the, um, like the the kind of mental health stuff and the social anxiety and all of that stuff, it's it's really relatable. I think anyone can kind of relate to that stuff as well. And you know, so you do feel out of place in places, and it's it's great to have a couple of anthems here that will you know allow you to sing about those things at the top of your lungs. Yeah. It's great. And yeah. that's the thing is well, the final thing I'll say about Heart Attack Man, especially this record Freak of Nature. Eric Egan, he he oozes personality and character. And it really, it elevates the music and his performances. And because he, he's just, so, he's an endearing, engaging character. He's funny and he's quirky. And when he, and when he lets his guard down, you really feel the vulnerability. And, and then when he's being really tongue in cheek and provocative, you still always hear that it's coming from a place of like, he's never out to fucking just irk people for irking people. He's trying to engage and provoke a reaction because it'll get you thinking about your own shit and your own kind of way you interpret shit and I, I I yeah I think and I feel like he's been really building toward that across the projects and I and I feel like uh, he seems incredibly proud of Freak of Nature and the band should be I think it's a it's a great accomplishment and I fucking love the fact that the tour is called the Freak of Nature 
<laughs> that that seems very fitting. So it does. Yes, it yeah, really yeah, does. yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so that's well, kind I of our. Report, I shall report back in a few weeks when I've seen them live to let to let to let to let people know how if it, if the show went off like C four did. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it fucking will, man. I, I can't imagine it won't. And I'm looking forward to actually going back and checking out some of the rest of their stuff as well. So it should be a good time. I highly yeah. recommend checking out Fake Blood and checking out the Thoughts and Prayers EP, which came out in between Fake Blood and mm. Freak of Nature. And I highly recommend watching their audio tree set because it's well, so much fun. They purposefully, <laughs> the audio tree set, they're all purposefully wearing Heart Attack Man merch. And Eric is wearing Heart Attack Man tracking bottoms, a Heart Attack Man hoodie, and a Heart Attack Man beanie hat in the studio. And he's sweating buckets the whole way through the set, where like all decked out in Heart Attack Man gear. And I know some people were like, who the fuck is this band when they found them on audio? And I was like, I love this shit. This is this is one of the reasons I love this fucking band. And literally, like, they're in the studio, the Audio Tree studio, playing these sugary pop punk songs. And he introduces every song with a death growl. Like, he's like, you know, <laughs> this next song's called Fake Blood. He's a, he's a piss artist. Like, and I, and I love that shit. There should be more piss take artists writing emo. That's how I feel. I agree. Heart attack, man. Yeah, we 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 champion the new record. Keep doing what you're doing, boys, and Definitely. go listen to them. If you like any of the bands we've mentioned and the influences you like, you will not not crack a smile listening to this record. Even if you just listen to the title track, like Tierney said, mm. it'll bring you back to the days of like hanging at your mate's gaff when you were twelve, just watching Kerrang and Scuzz. I'm telling you, it will. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, that's a great place to leave it. Uh, fully, fully recommend. Uh, freaking nature by Heart Attack Man because it's it's a killer time. Um, so thank you as always for listening to us here and for the record uh, throughout our rants and our raves and our praises and all of that stuff. Um, uh, we we really appreciate it and it's been lovely to see some of the reaction the last couple of weeks as well. So thank you as always for tuning in. You can catch us Facebook and Instagram and all that good stuff for the record pod. Thank you very much. My name is Sean Tierney. His name is Zach Buggy. See you later. Music is the best. Bye.